What's up, everyone? We are so excited to be back this week. We have a new guest and a new topic. So thank you for joining us for Sundays at 7. Christian Student Fellowship in Lexington, Kentucky. So welcome, Derek. Thank you for being on our podcast today. It is wonderful to be here. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, if you don't care, just uh, tell a little bit about yourself to our listeners. That way we kind of know a little bit about you. Sure. So I work at Christian Student Fellowship, also known as CSF, on the University of Kentucky campus. It's a campus ministry here. And we're kind of also in this transition where we built a little house across the street from our, our old ministry, and it's called Lewis House. And the long-term idea is, is it's kind of sort of like an intellectual campus ministry. And, and that's really where my heart is, is um, I, I've kind of felt like God has given me certain gifts and certain passions about uh, using our minds well as Christians and um, also being on campus with college students. And so Lewis House is kind of where those things intersect. So d- during this time, I've been on staff about 10 years or so. I've also been going to school. So I'm living kind of parallel lives. I've got kind of the, the ministry life over here and the school life over here. And I'm very thankful that those are intersecting because I think both are better for it. But I, I did um, a Master's of Divinity at Asbury Seminary, which is down the road from Lexington, Kentucky. And then I went overseas to St. Andrews, Scotland, was there for uh, about a year and a half, did a one-year master's degree, and then started my PhD, which I'm about to finish. I can see the finish line. I'm about three to four months away, hopefully. That feels good, I'm sure. That's where I'm at right now. Yeah, it does feel good. So that's that's kind of where I'm at in a nutshell. And then personal life, uh, I like baseball. I'm married to Bethany um, and... I guess that's it about me. I like hanging out with friends. <laughs> nice, yeah. Derek is actually someone, Kayton and I both attended the Christian Student Fellowship when we were in college, and he was someone that's, you've been on staff 10 years, and that's, mm-hmm. we, he was here yeah. when we were both here. So. I was going to yeah. say, it's I awesome. think we all have an unspoken connection through yeah. CSF. That's like, right. Once you're in CSF, you always are. Yeah. That's right, so, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. We're just going to dive right into the topic. Yeah, right? let's do it. Which I'm very excited about this one, because I feel like it's a little bit different than the other topics that we've been doing. So I'm anxious to see where we go with it. What do we do when our spiritual leaders fail us? Yeah, that's that's a big question. And I, I don't know if there's a certain thing of like being qualified to answer this question. I, I personally am very lucky to have never had serious moral failures in um, for any of my spiritual leaders. But obviously this is something that's been prevalent recently with uh, the story of Ravi Zacharias and then there's been some other high profile pastors obviously that have had some sort of large moral failing. Um, The first thing that comes to my mind though when I hear this question is that it's important to recognize that our spiritual leaders absolutely will fail us and they always will. Uh, These you know our spiritual leaders whoever they are other than of course Jesus or the power of the Spirit dwelling within us uh, they're imperfect human beings that uh, sin that w- will sin and that will um, not be perfect leaders always and will also not have it all figured out. They're on this journey just as we are. They're also being sanctified just as we are. And so I think that is to kind of set the tone of the conversation is important to remember because we do ex- we expect a lot of leaders. That's why they're leaders. That's why they're in the positions that they're in. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think it helps us with our expectations, um, to, to realize up front that we're all 
uh, imperfect sinners before God and uh, just trying to uh, walk closer with Jesus and to um, let him be more and more the Lord of our lives. And so I think that also helps us with the grace bit in this conversation too, because whenever there is a sort of failing um, that we have to recognize that we also have failed. And there is in scripture like this constant sort of refrain of that like the forgiveness that we're given is somehow dependent on the forgiveness that we give other people uh, that like forgive us our sins as we forgive other people as as mm-hmm. Jesus says in the Lord prayer in the Lord's prayer so I think forgiveness is a really important component of this whenever some sort of um, failing happens whenever our spiritual leaders fail us um, but there is a larger question, too, of because this is kind of right now we're talking about really any moral failing. And that could be, you know, just your run of the mill sort of sin. You're, you know, your leader gossiped. You're probably not going to stop letting them lead you just because they committed some sin. Because, like I've said, you know, we, we expect leaders to commit to, to sin because we're all imperfect. Um, but I, I, and, and, you know, am I right that you're asking more whenever there's sort of this larger sin the something like you know uh, egregious maybe is a good word an egregious yes. sin um and that's a really difficult question and so my first thought is that it is it depends uh on the situation it depends on the nature of the relationship with the someone that that has been leading you um so i mean robbie is a probably a good example to kind of start with uh i mean robbie's somebody that i have looked up to I would say that's probably a fair characterization I've read some of his books I've listened to a lot of his talks and um, what's always been really refreshing about Ravi is that he seems as if he really lives it he seems as someone who really believed what he was preaching but then all these revelations come out about um, the kinds of things he had done and it's it's kind of it really is painful to watch for one mm-hmm. um, but I also as someone that is working in ministry I take it kind of as a warning that no like that it, this could happen to anybody mm-hmm. and um, you, you see I think how power corrupts people and how being influential can be corruptive and um, I, I do think that there is some sort of dark force at work here like the, the the enemy is at work in these in these situations and so yeah I, I'm just kind of rambling at this point but I think the uh the long and short of it is it really depends on each situation and we have to take it with um a lot of care we have to um pray about it I think that's a big part of it and hopefully I mean hopefully um we do it in community as well and that we have these conversations about how to handle situations like this in community and that and um, I won't go on much longer, but that, that just reminds me of, I think one of the things that makes the Ravi piece so difficult to swallow is that, you know, he, his, almost his whole ministry was built around him, around an individual, right? You know, it, the, the organization was called RZM, Ravi Zacharias International <coughs> Ministries. Mm-hmm. And it just makes the minute, whenever the ministry is built around one person like that, it just makes these cases so much more difficult to handle, um, whereas hopefully, I mean, in each community, the I think a good leader does this. A good leader builds up the community and not himself or herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that makes the decisions uh, when we deal with kind of a substantial moral failure a lot easier to handle whenever we can do it in community. But 
that's that's kind of what I would say. It's no matter what, we have to do it with uh, a lot of care and grace. It's not a cookie cutter answer to how to handle uh, sorts of sort of substantial moral failures. Um, but but doing it with prayer and in community is a really good place to start. Yeah, this conversation is interesting because you kind of talked about like the small scale and the large scale. Yeah, I feel like I'm speaking for both of us, but Caitlin and I have experienced it. Um, this this situation with a pastor that we've had um, mm-hmm. before, and then also with all of these things coming out in the news with these big, almost like celebrity mm-hmm. Christian pastors. And I think it just leads to the topic of where are we putting our trust as Christians? You know, are we putting all of our faith and all of our trust in a human? And I've heard this quote several times before, but the best of men are men at best, kind of like what mm-hmm. you were saying. And the faith, the faith that we have is Christ's, and He is trustworthy. And so, if our faith is shattered by the acts of a human, then I think we've put our all of our faith and our trust maybe in the wrong place. Yeah. And now, this Robbie thing—I was talking to someone else, and they were like, "I'm gonna go burn all of my books he ever wrote." And so, yeah, that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, which kind of leads us to the next question. I mean. Like Katie has said, we've experienced this like on a small level, and obviously we've had conversations, which I think is really important. What you said about having conversations in community about it, and because yeah. I feel like there's not, like you said again, one cookie cutter answer for everything, mm-hmm. and like I don't know honestly now like how I feel about it, like how am I supposed to respond, and because I feel like I'm sitting on one side of the fence of okay, well in Philippians it talks about whether by false motives are true, Christ is preached, and because of that we rejoice, and so even though. You know, he was living immorally under the table. Like Christ was preached above the surface, and we're rejoicing because of it. Because God is the ultimate sender and receiver of the gospel. And so, no matter, it's not Robbie's words, it's God's. Mm-hmm. And so, who knows yeah. how many lives he actually touched because of that, you know? But then I like sit on the other side of the fence where I'm like, am I going to purchase a book that he's written? Because are his words invalidated now to me? Mm-hmm. Like, he walked. He's talking the talk, but he's not walking the walk to back it up. Yep. Does Do you think that all of this coming out invalidates what he has preached and, you know, the books that he's written or the sermons that he's preached? It's a really good question. And um, I'll start out by just saying, and, and this is kind of a more, I guess, more theoretical point, but it certainly has a lot of practical implications. I think it's definitely true that what we think and... Uh, therefore, what we preach, you know, our theology, our worldview, uh, those are all influenced and deeply, intimately connected with the lives that we live. So whenever, you know, we, we, we might be able to conceptually distinguish, let's say, between, <clears throat> let's say, like Christian doctrine or um, sort of basic theological truths and then our lives that we live. So the- theology on the one hand and sort of practice on the other. But really, they're two sides of the same coin and they cannot be separated. And this an- another example of this that and, and again, because like what I'm doing at St. Andrews is theology, like that's what my PhD is in. Um, so a, a really prominent example of this in the last hundred years is Karl Barth, who's um, a very influential theologian. One, probably the most influential theologian of the 20th century um, was fighting against the Nazis during World War II theologically with his pen. Um, and, and just extremely important in the story of theology over the last 200 years. Um, and a lot of revel- there were first sort of rumors, but a lot of revelations have come out even in the last five or six years or so that he, he had a, a long-standing affair with his secretary, and not only that, but that he wrote letters and sort of like tried to theologically justify it. And some of the theological moves he was making were, were kind of um, in order to justify this long-standing affair. 
Now, there are some circumstances of that story that make it a little different, but I tell it just to put a pinpoint on this, on this exact point that we've raised, that it's really hard to read Karl Barth, and so now we can say this about Robbie too, I think, without that being in the background mm-hmm. while we're reading it. And just the other day, I came across a Robbie book and sort of thinking about this, and it was about uh, sexuality. It was a book that he had written about it. And so I just kind of picked it up and started flipping through it and read the, the sort of conclusion. And it was just kind of chilling to read, knowing now like what we know about how he was living his life. And I think this is where it gets into the circumstances really are important. And, and especially in this question of like, do we continue to read? Do we continue to to listen to their material, consider them sort of a, a spiritual leader in some ways. Um, if we, you know, I, I also think this is a little bit of a side, but I think if you know we are reading their books, for listening to their podcasts, then we are letting them lead us spiritually in some way, shape, or form. Like they are forming our hearts and minds and souls. Um, and with the Robbie case, it's just really hard now. I think for me to take that to take him seriously because of this. The, the specific circumstances of, of his story where this is, you know, this was apparently a very, you know, repeated incident and there, as far as we can tell, um, no sort of repentance mm-hmm. and it was very brazen and, you know, even in public him saying like how important it is to live a life um, of integrity even behind closed doors and then to know that he like wasn't doing that and there didn't seem to be any serious attempts to stop it or at accountability at the level of accountability, like talking to friends, close friends about it, talking to his wife about it. Like this just completely shocked everyone. It was, you know, he is something he was keeping a secret. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go burn his books, but I probably will sell him at half price books. Uh, like I, I, I just, it becomes really hard for me. I think at this point to, especially given that there is so much good material out material out there. So many good books written, um, that it's just he's just probably one I'm not gonna to lend my heart and soul to um, anymore and um, that's not to say that the influence on my life that he's had is invalidated because I think that's absolutely not the case I and mean, like you all said it's not Robbie working in me it's the spirit working in me mm-hmm. through like Robbie is an instrument and, and he's an imperfect instrument just like everybody who's ever lived um, but yeah, there, this again, this sort of gets back to like sort of the specific circumstances around this, and I, and I mentioned the Bart, Carl Bart case, just seem a little bit different because of how long-standing they were, how they seem to have been justified, um, how egregious they were as part of it, and then a sort of lack of any repentance as far as we can tell, mm-hmm. um, and th- those things just make it difficult, I think, for me to take someone seriously as a spiritual leader. There are other cases, of course, that where the lines become grayer and more difficult um, cases where there was, let's just say, is one example that we just mentioned, I think, before we started the podcast was Carl Lentz, as, uh, the, the preacher in New York that was having an affair, apparently. And I, don't, I actually don't know hardly any of the details, but from what I could tell, he was very repentant about it after the fact. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he just got caught, and that's why he was repentant, but... Um, that matters to me. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not someone that I wasn't reading Carlin's before. I wasn't listening to any of his material. So I'm not necessarily faced with this difficulty, but, uh, I would probably approach that situation a little bit differently than I would, um, in the, in the case of Robbie. I just keep thinking about the Bible, you know, and all the leaders in the Bible who obviously failed, David and Aaron, you know, the list goes on and on, but I feel like 
these imperfect people magnify the immensity of Jesus and his perfection. So does it invalidate? No, because it should. We should take their imperfectness, their imperfect nature, and we, it should make us even more in awe of Jesus' perfection yeah. and of, in the perfect nature of Jesus. And I feel like that's that's a common thing that I've heard when I've talked with my friends. Like, this is just another point for us to not to always point back to Jesus because he will never fail. And he and he's the true Savior. And mm-hmm. Robbie's not my Savior. Carlin's isn't my Savior. Jesus is my Savior. And that's been a common conversation that we've had, which is, I guess, a, a important lesson we can take from this is the imperfect nature of humans when they do fail, although their message isn't invalidated, it should point us to the per- actual, real, mm-hmm. true perfection of Jesus. So Yeah, and I did want to, I meant to say earlier that you, you can't really find an example in Scripture of someone that, is uh, or maybe you can maybe like I don't know Mary would be an example of someone that didn't have some sort of serious issues like mm-hmm. at some point even like Peter I mean Peter denied Jesus like that would be on the list of sins that we would want to come up with a list that would be pretty high on the list I think for a lot of people yeah um, and and then Jesus says like on the on the rock he builds his his church on Peter and um, I don't know that I think that says a lot about the forgiveness of Jesus and how Jesus can work in situations in which there is serious moral failure. Um, yeah, but I do think that, and that's to get back to the the point of repentance. I do think that is something that you would see that would be consistent in Scripture. You see it in David as an obvious example, and of course Peter, of they are repentant, and um, we we there is a difference between living unrepentantly in sin and living repentantly in sin. Because we all are going to live in sin, um, and that's the question of what we do with it. There, and that, and that's what I wanted to say. I'm not trying to throw stones at Robbie or Karl Barth or anyone, anyone, but because every theologian and is is imperfect, and every theologian has moral mm-hmm. failures, and so I can't go. It's not like okay, well, I'm not going to read Bart because he messed up. I'll, I'll find some other theologian um, that that didn't, because you can't find that person. They've all every every person is uh, imperfect and has fallen short of the glory of God, and that is um, absolutely the sort of blanket that covers this whole conversation um, that we have to keep kind of returning back to. Yeah. I think that is a perfect segue into the next part, which is kind of a devil's advocate kind of question, but (laughs) there are several verses, obviously, in the Bible that talk about when leaders make the decision to follow Christ, they're held to a higher standard, like Mm -hmm. leaders are held to a higher standard. In James, it says, James 3, 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Mm-hmm. So it's hard not to question the authenticity of a message from someone who never felt convicted enough to promptly repent and publicly repent. And I, I, you've talked a little bit about that. So just the concept of, yes, we are all imperfect, but also when we make the decision to become leaders and mm-hmm. preach the gospel publicly in a mass scale, you know, we are held to a higher standard. I think that's right. And I think what makes this even a kind of weird scenario too is that the way in which like spiritual leadership can happen now because like I said you know if you read if you're if you're listening to someone's podcast every week I think they are a spiritual leader but this they're also not a spiritual leader in the sense that almost throughout the whole history of the church um what we've meant by spiritual leader is not necessarily it's not that right we've meant someone that is in a particular community that's leading a particular community and that you're in a part of that particular community all those of course talking about the church and the particular local church um that's what it's meant to be a spiritual leader and so now we live in a place and time where we can sort of abstract that 
um, embodied lived reality where we are actually a part of a community um, and subject to a community where now we can listen to people from all over the world and be influenced and impacted from people all over the world. And I say that only to say that that also gives us kind of another distinction that we have to think about when approaching this issue. Because I would approach the situation differently versus, again, reading Robbie's books versus I'm under a spiritual leader in my community who's had this significant Mm -hmm. moral failing. Because I think what the appropriate response to that is, is something that happens within that community and is done with the kind of love, grace, and truth um, that, uh, that the community should and ought to show the leader. Um, and so that's what makes these kind of situations a little strange. Because like I said, like with the, with the Robbie case, it's like, why would, you know, why would I continue to read his books? Um, because I can read a different book, and I can read someone else that is, that is you know, writing just as well and just as influential and is... Um, and that, at least for all I know, is really living a faithful Christian life and is repentant for sins, things like that. Um, but it's it, it becomes a bit more difficult. And uh, if 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 like you all talked about having a, you know you actually having to come face to face with this reality in a community that you were in, um, it I, I wouldn't be so quick to write it off in that point in that case, right? Right? I, I mean, and but I think you're right that leader, leaders are absolutely held to a higher standard and. Um, there's a there's leadership is a call and it's an opportunity and it uh, is a privilege like to, to lead other people mm-hmm. uh, and it's something that can't be you know held lightly and, and done lightly and this is why I kind of said at the beginning that for me as someone that is in some sort of leadership position here um, and and will probably do vocational ministry my whole life uh, it, it is kind of like just a reminder that mm-hmm. like this can happen to anybody and there are a lot of pastors that you would never think on the outside that are you know participating in, in some sort of widespread consistent moral failure without repenting um, but uh, yeah as, as a leader we are really called we have to we have to really guard against that I think yes. um, yeah. and, and, and it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of prayer and always turning to Jesus and, and letting him be our guide. And yeah, like you said, not a particular person like that. That's not, we don't put our faith and hope in Ravi. Um, we put it in Jesus and that's what a good leader does. Ultimately is a good, a good leader points other people to Jesus and, mm-hmm. and is led by Christ himself or herself as, as he or she leads other people closer to Jesus. Um, and, and so that's ultimately where, um, we have to land, I think on the leadership yeah. yeah definitely and we we've been talking a lot about what to do if the situation were to arise but we kind of wanted to end the podcast talking about what not to do when this situation mm. comes about um i think like right when all this stuff started coming out obviously all of these you know christian media outlets were broadcasting and you know people were pointing fingers like look at his sin look at his sin and his son nathan zacharias actually came out with an article and was writing his thoughts down and just talks about how like i mean yes it was crushing for you but like imagine how it is for our family you know because he had a wife and three kids Mm. and he talks about how you know Pharisees are still running rampant today, but instead of having stones, they have laptops, and it's so mm-hmm. easy to sit behind a computer Absolutely. screen and throw all of this stuff out, not having you know to come face to face with the person you're talking about, you know. Yeah. But he also talks about how um, it's so easy for all of these self righteous people to stake their flag in my father's shadow reputation, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's so hard. Or it's so easy for people to get on their high horse, and because we talked about levels of sin, and think, 
you know, his was terrible, not compared to mine, you know, his was terrible. So we can point at him and say, you know, shame on you, shame on you. I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to, you know, do all this stuff. But, um, those are things that people do. So, you know, what do you think we should not do? (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh, this is going to turn into like a two hour long podcast. (laughs) We can say so many things like not to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that comes to mind. I would say, and this, this, in no particular order, just sort of rambling here. One would be not not posting on social media about the whatever the thing is. Yeah, um, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm kind of a luddite in so many ways. I don't have any sort of form of social media, and um, I, I, and I've, I've had it before, and I honestly think my soul is better for it because I just think there's so much vitriol and hate and judgment you talked about like the pharisees i mean i absolutely feel that on like social media you can't say anything without just getting lambasted Mm -hmm. um by a crowd of people that you don't know and that that, that don't have context and so i just tend to think uh social media especially in this sort of um in these sort of cases are just completely unproductive um, you know, you're, you're the thoughts, the world doesn't need to know your thoughts about Ravi or about this issue. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the first thing you should do really is pray for is pray for him, pray for his family. Um, that should be our first reaction, not, I need to tell the world what I think about this. And so that would be my, kind of my first thought. Um, but even like sort of a little bit more specifically thinking of, there seems to be like a spectrum here and, and kind of two... Um, extremes that we could fall into and, and again I, I know that we keep bringing up Ravi it's just kind of an, an easy example that has mm-hmm. kind of just happened um, but I do think it's helpful to see like what kind of, how, how could we react to this situation um, would say a lot about how we would react to other situations but one extreme it seems to me would be to um, basically immediately buy into any charges and then just start throwing stones and and you don't have to have social media to throw stones you can do it in your own head you can have thoughts about Ravi and or about any person that has been accused of moral failings and just immediately say this person is terrible and is uh, is way worse than me way worse than I'll ever be um, and that's the exact wrong attitude to have about situations like this um, so that's one and I think and I think Especially when it comes, to, I mean, this is the kiss case is again different. But anytime there's any accusation, I think you want to step back, not form immediate opinions about <clears throat> like whatever thoughts rush to your head in the moment, and and be open minded about the, about what's happening more or less, and listen to someone that you would consider a spiritual advisor. Um, but so that's one side. The other extreme, it seems to me, and this I think happened in the Ravi case a lot was that people just immediately dismissed it and said, well, this, these accusations can't be true because Ravi's just too good of a man. Mm-hmm. And that is also a really harmful way to think about situations like this because we've seen oh, time and time again that nobody is too good of a man or too good of a woman to have a serial, serious moral failing. And uh, we are all sinners and we're all capable of this sort of, um, I mean, for lack of a better term, evil. We're all capable of it, and our hearts are um, just bent this way sometimes. And we and we need Jesus. We need the Spirit working in our lives to avoid these sorts of situations. It's literally only by the grace of God that I, I can avoid a situation like this myself. I mean, the the really I guess the the I don't know the idea that ties all these together is humility. Just having humility about all of these situations. Um, is incredibly important. It does take a lot of prayer and discernment in a community 
to think about how to really handle these situations well. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Derek, for joining us on thank the podcast. You all. Thanks it for has been so us. fun. Yeah, um, we'll definitely me. have to get you back on again. Plus, I want to come back to this building because it's really awesome. I know. It's just like home that I just walked into. Uh, I know. Yeah. Definitely. Coming out, Lewis House. Yeah. It's 507 Columbia Avenue. And they have a big <laughs> like, tent greenhouse thing. Yeah. It's a it's a situation it's over here. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, but thank you again for joining us and join us next week, listeners. We will have a new available episode of Sundays at 7, so we can't wait to do that for you. So thank you for joining us for Sundays, Sundays at 7. Bye, guys. Woo-hoo.